Good morning, afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the All That Jazz Podcast. I'm your host, Matyash, and today I have with me Beth Gear. We're going to talk about UFOs. We're going to talk about A Course in Miracles and her work as a pharmacist. All of these three things seem to be very different, but trust me, they are interconnected, especially in her life. And we're going to talk about prior agreements before lifetimes. We're going to talk about why some people do not see UFOs. We're going to talk about how death may be prearranged before we come on this planet, before we incarnate. Ooh, very interesting. This and much more in this podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the new episode of All That Jazz. I'm your host, Matyash, and I have today with me a new guest, Beth Gear, and uh, she wrote a book called Awakening to One Love, Uncover the Inner Peace and Joy Hidden Within You. <laughs> oh, there you go. The book is there. <laughs> um, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Matyash. It's an honor to be here, and I'm excited. Thank you. That that's probably the the most accurate pronunciation of my name. So I do I do appreciate that. I know it takes some effort for an English speaking person. Um, so okay, so let's go um to your background because a lot of my guests that I have on, they their spiritual journey starts really young, and is mm-hmm. that the case with you as well? Yes, <clears throat> mine started when I I think I was about five years old. And it was an event that happened um, just between me and God. And I know it was before I was six because I hadn't had my first communion yet. I was raised Catholic. And you get that typically around first grade or so when you're about six or seven years old. And um, do you want me to just tell the story? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I, this, this journey began at, at age five. And I, you know, was taught to say my prayers before bed and, you know, I'd say the Our Father and Hail Mary. And it occurred to me that maybe I should kneel or, you know, put my hands like this or this. Um, Maybe Mm -hmm. I should go in front of the window. I wonder if God can see me doing this or can he even hear me? Should I be saying them out loud? I didn't know. And I, it just occurred to me that maybe it's all being wasted. He can't even hear me. And, um, So that night I decided to try something different. I knelt in front of my window and I said my prayers out loud and I put my elbows on the windowsill, you know, resting like this and Mm -hmm. looked up to heaven outside in the sky (laughs) where I thought heaven was. And on that windowsill was a cactus that I'd had. It'd been there forever. I mean, I was only five. It had been there for as long as I knew and it was my cactus and, and I was responsible for it and taking care of it. So it was just something in my room. And that was between my elbows because it was sitting on the middle of the windowsill. Mm-hmm. And so I said my prayers and went to bed and woke up the next morning and opened my curtain like I always do, you know, lift up the shade. And my cactus had three blooms on it, three huge pink blooms. And I thought, God heard me. And I had the feeling that it didn't matter how I prayed, I was always heard. Didn't matter how you prayed. It, it, he, God knew what you, were, what you were saying. And, you know, I rushed downstairs to tell my family, look what happened. And, you know, describing the miracle. And 
of course, you know, I've got um, brothers, three brothers, and I don't know which one of them, or if it was one of my parents, explained to me that cacti, when they suddenly receive water, will bloom literally in a matter of hours. And I don't recall if it had been watered or not. I'm sure it had. I'm sure that was a natural process that it bloomed, but the timing was still something I held on to. It was like and that, that was the beginning of my search. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was the beginning of my search that I could make contact and contact could be returned to me um, through various means, whatever. And I just searched for more and more and more of that. And my journey led me through everything. I you know, besides praying, the, I prayed the rosary for six years of my life every day from sixth grade through my wow. freshman year of college, <clears throat> thinking this, this is what I need dedication. to do. And I, yes. And every day and I'd be on the on the bus coming home from a basketball game and I'd be laying there. And people would think I was sleeping on the bus home. But no, I was praying the rosary on my fingers because I didn't dare take it out in public <laughs> right. and be a, be a weirdo. And so no one knew about any of this stuff that I did. And I did a lot of meditation, even as a teenager. Uh, I had a book about meditating with angels. And I took down volumes of notebooks of my, my messages that I received during meditation, because you're supposed to write down whatever comes to you during those mm -hmm. meditations. And <clears throat> it was all very covert. I felt like I had a secret life. And uh, as I got older, I investigated astrology, numerology, um, UFOs, because I had a few prominent experiences with extraterrestrial contact of all things. I, I realized it's all the same. All of it is part of God and all of it is part of the same journey. And as long as you're seeking love, mm -hmm. that's really, that's really the, the theme, the truth that threads through everything is we're looking for love and we're looking for that experience. <clears throat> And I found it in everything I looked into until I landed on A Course in Miracles. And right. that had been the purest truth I'd found so far. And now okay. everything else is just icing. <laughs> let's go Let's go back to something you mentioned, uh, UFOs, because uh, I have a, a good friend of mine that's, uh, that I trust. And he told me once that he saw a ufos and i had never seen it and my my uh, attitude towards that time was uh you know i don't believe there's anything out there and all that yeah but but i'm thinking yes. maybe there is um because i think there's two types <clears throat> of uh, ufos there's the physical actual spaceship mm -hmm. if it's that or uh, in my view more most likely is the uh the astral realm so you see something that's actually not mm -hmm. there so yeah. what's your take yeah, on that it's in another dimension right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what's your take on ufos is it mostly like is it in the physical universe or is it in the astral domain or both both okay. it's both it's this and that as i've heard daryl anka channel the extraterrestrial bashar it is this and that they're capable of coming down into the physical, but it's a matter of vibration. And when you see something like that, when you see a UFO, it's a process of you being at a vibration high enough to access their realm and they've come down low enough to meet you halfway. So not everyone sees it. You can have multiple people 
looking at the sky in the same spot and some will see it and some won't. And it, mm. it's a matter of vibration. I believe they can dial in to specific people. And I've had both physical sightings and what you would call astral experiences uh, where I've been aboard ships. I've interacted with, what? to my knowledge, I, I four different types of beings. I've had dreams um, and from very little on, because this began when I was probably about 12, when I started becoming aware of extraterrestrials being something out there that could interact with us. <clears throat> I was very scared the first time something happened. And as I was investigating, I realized, oh my gosh, these are abductions. <laughs> They're doing experiments on me and taking my DNA. And so I told them in my mind and I knew, I don't know how I knew, but I knew they could hear me and I said, I don't care what you do, do what you have to do. I, I, I'm okay, just don't let me know about it. I don't want to be scared. If, you, mm. if I'm scared at all, the deal's off. <laughs> if I'm scared at all, the deal is off, whatever you're doing. Because I had this benign love that I felt from them, and, but they didn't realize that what they were doing was terrifying. So okay. anyway. So did yeah. they actually abduct you, like uh, physically abduct you, or was it just an astral domain? I have woken up standing in the middle of my backyard after one of my dreams. Um, and I have woken standing in the middle of my room and I've had other, um, my clothes, my, my pajamas weren't on right. Like I'd wake up and my shirt's on backwards. <laughs> How did that happen? My sleeves, did I take it off in my sleep and turn it around? You know, things like that. Um, but one of my can I, do we have time? Can I tell you a story yeah, about go one ahead. of my favorite, my favorite one? And before I tell that though, I'm going to say when I was 16, I was coming home from a date with a boyfriend. We'd gone to a movie and he was bringing me home. We live out in the country. So we're on a country road and we're actually driving past my grandmother's property. And I looked out in the field. It was just a broad open field and then there was a, a river valley around the edges <clears throat> we're up on a very tall place on a on a on a bluff and there um kind of in the middle of the field i saw a ball of light and it looked huge and it wasn't the moon it wasn't a star it was too low to the ground it was only about 100 feet off the ground it looked like a third story building height maybe 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 two or three stories and i <laughs> smacked my boyfriend at the time i was, look look at that what is that and he saw it and he's like I don't know and we stared at it and it shot up straight into the sky and disappeared and then I turned to look at him to talk to him about it and outside our window were two more within uh two car lengths as though they're on the road next to us and they go look out your window what is that <laughs> and the two balls of light shot forward out over the valley into midair and then shot straight up into the sky and disappeared and then we saw one more that just kind of hung in the sky and we drove very slowly home and then it just blinked right out. And where that light was, ironically, and I didn't even think of this till after the fact, because these things, you go on with life. I'm 16, you know, I yeah. come to being age 24, I get married. We buy part of my grandma's farm and my house is now built in the spot where that UFO was seen, <laughs> which ironically, after we started digging the hole, I looked my husband and I said, so I have a story to tell you about this location. And I didn't realize it till just now <laughs> there was a UFO, UFO here about a decade ago, you know? And um, so things like that, that was my only actual physical <clears throat> encounter where I saw with my waking eyes, um, 
but my one of my more interesting in this, I think about this quite often. I <clears throat> had an encounter where I was being pulled up the tube of light and next to me was a small gray being with dark eyes, like your typical gray. And he was holding my right hand. Excuse me just a second. Well, this was like a physical, um, actual. This is physical. this is physical, but it felt like a dream. Mm -hmm. Whatever they did to me, they immersed me in a feeling of love and peace. I didn't feel any kind of terror at this because he, and I felt like it was a he, was emanating such a vibration of love and peace that I felt completely safe. And I felt like he had only good intentions. And so he's holding my hand and we're going up this beam of light. And again, I'm, I think I was a senior in high school. I was about 17 when this happened. Yeah. This is when I woke up in a strange place, but <clears throat> I, then we came to the top and it was almost like Star Trek. You, you're standing on like a little platform, but you're still kind of in this tube and it opens and I see all these other little gray beings in these little like suits. <laughs> it was almost comical because they're so small and they're cute and they're little one piece, like almost mechanic suits, like what a mechanic would wear, or a farmer, like a one piece tight fitting, um, a dark, bla dark blue suit. And they had, each had a little emblem here with a, a symbol on it. I couldn't make out what it was, but they were scurrying about doing their activities and they all turned and looked at me and then I'll pretended like I wasn't there. And we're suddenly very busy. It's like and a movie had, scene. It's like a movie yes, scene. <laughs> yes. And I thought, why are they acting that way? And I got the feeling from my companion, he never spoke out loud, that they're not supposed to interact with me because they don't want to jar me out of this bliss. I was in a, a, like a bubble of, of peace and love. And if they interacted with me too much, fear would creep in and it would burst the bubble and it would be terrible. <clears throat> uh, okay. And, but I also got the feeling from them that they desperately wanted to talk to me. Every single one of them wanted to come over to me and, and had things to say. And, but they had to pretend I wasn't there. They were suddenly, nope, these two people, this little gray person and Beth are not in the, in the room. Right. I, it was circular. And there was this big window across the front and this dark panel, like a, a dark countertop, a console, and it was completely dark. And, you know, at the time I didn't realize it looks just like our, our, uh, our, our, our phones. It was dark mm -hmm. like this, and it was glass like that or some sort of material. And he said, I need you to put your hand on this and take out your energetic signature from our ship. And I said, what? <laughs> Why is my energetic signature in your ship? And I stood there for a moment. I'm like, I, I don't really know where you want me to put my hand. There's this big black countertop or console in front of me. Where exactly do you want me to put my hand? And why is my energetic signature in your ship? And he said, very apologetically, he was, it almost pained him to tell me that before I left for this incarnation, I had a role on their team as part of their scientific research team. And the, some of the scientific functions were, they forgot to take my signature out and they couldn't access them. Oh. And without me touching the screen, like you know how we have codes to get into our own phones, without me physically coming to touch it, they couldn't wow. remove or unlock my wow. signature to let them access those functions. So then I'm staring and I'm like, what? 
<laughs> and he's like, I'm very sorry, allow me. And he took my hand and spread my fingers out a certain way and placed it in a very specific spot on the console. And it lit up just like your apps open on your phone. And the whole thing lit up, this whole section, because there were other parts that were lit up, but this particular section was dark. And he thanked me. And I, the last thing I remember is we went back into the tube and I woke up, this is one where I woke up standing in the middle of my bedroom going, was I just somewhere? Wait, but this <laughs> was is I a... actually there or did he take me astrally or were we physically, but the whole thing was so just immersed in love and trust that I, it's not a bad memory and it's almost comical to me. And, right. and well, what the so... heck? how many lives have we had and where have we had them? <laughs> So it was like, was it like a dream that, did it feel like a dream or was it like, do you, do you think you were actually there? I don't know. I've thought about it and thought about it. It felt so real. It felt as though I was kind of like watching a movie. When you're sitting there watching a movie, it's very real because you're actually there watching it, but you're not right. actually in the movie but you become emotionally involved with it because of what you're seeing and you get scared or you get happy or you cry or you feel love and you're rooting for certain people. It was almost like that as though I was looking out of my eyes. It wasn't like I saw myself. I was looking out of my own physical being. So that's the weird part. I was seeing it first person and it was me there, but could that have really physically been a journey? And there have been other shorter journeys. I had one where a team of another race, they were taller and um, they brought me aboard their ship and they were young and they're like, look, we just wanted to take you on a ride to show you we made it. We made it. We have our own ship. We did it. We, we, we got through the program. We flew here. We, we transported here and they took me on this beautiful journey over the valley where I live and I got to see all the houses and, and the the farmland from above in the early morning hours and it was beautiful and they were so proud of themselves and somehow I had helped them achieve that like they were proud of what they had accomplished and they wanted to show it to me and um other other experiences were um one was a creature and he had like a weird pope hat on his he had a white long oblong head and we flew above um another part of the valley and the whole time he was telling me things and we were discussing things and future plans of for earth, things that needed to be done yet and what my part was in that. And I woke up and could remember nothing. But mm. years later, I read, uh, oh, it's one of those um, UFO theorists. He wrote a book um, about the Anunnaki and they have found in, in tombs and graves out in Egypt and things, the oblong heads and some were not man-made, like their bodies were not human and where they were buried. And I thought, oh my gosh, that was an Anunnaki <laughs> that came to talk with me. And I have no recollection of what was said, but I feel like it was very important. And he said, basically the understanding was, I'll know what I need to know when I need to know it. It will come forward from my memory as I need access to it, but it's in there now. And so, yeah, that's way off topic of my book. Wow. I only touch on it a little bit, but yeah. those are a few of my most exciting uh, UFO and extraterrestrial experiences. That's amazing. Do you, do you think it's because uh, you mentioned past lives? So maybe it's because your past lives, maybe you had to do with them. Yes. And maybe some others. Yes. Uh, 
as I suspect, like myself, we didn't yes, have much have. of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe we didn't have much of that. So that's why we don't want to experience that now. Is that could be a possible explanation? Oh, absolutely. I know that if we're able to come into these bodies, there's nothing, nothing to stop us from going into a different intelligent life form and participate in their society and be a, a personality amongst them, helping them evolve and we evolve with their help. And it's this gigantic cooperative effort and that our human family, excuse me, our human family is not restricted to planet earth. It is much more broad than that. And when we say all that is, we tend to think of just earth (laughs) or our galaxy or our solar system. But I have had three out of body experiences where the all that is encompassed so much that I felt like I might explode. It was such a feeling of love and enormity where I was all things and just still my personality, my, my one thing. And I do know that when we rejoin the collective, when we rejoin our oneness with our creator and each other, there's this fear that we're gonna just be lost in this diaphanous cloud and we're just gonna disappear and be no more because now we're part of this oneness, but we get both. That, that's the beauty of it. We get to have both. We still get to retain our individual perspective, our individual personality, mm-hmm. as well as that all-encompassing, enormous, infinite beingness. And it's this and that. It's everything. It's all things and one thing. And we get to have both perspectives. You never lose your, your identity. Never, never. It never goes away. No matter how one you become with all things and aware you are of other consciousnesses, okay. you get to stay you, which is wonderful. Well, the, to me, the, the sense of, uh, let's say, enlightenment, because it, enlightenment is like a pruding of the ego in a way. That's the classical definition of enlightenment in, in Buddhism and Hinduism. To me, that, that's kind of scary because then you have no... <laughs> the the individual mm-hmm. operating uh the individual mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's an illusion uh, anyway the individual operating the the whole of your being and it, all that is gone and so it seems yes. like <clears throat> some kind of merging into kind of allness and that's so very different but then again enlightened people i guess if there's probably only a several on earth they they still seem individual but they yeah but their experience is not so that's confusing to me um it's it, you can shift your perspective any way you want once you're in that state once you're aware that the fear is gone of being lost in this cloud of everything and it's kind of like it's just, just occurred to me. It's like the iCloud. It's all together in one big spot, but you can find your individual pieces of data. You can find the things you stored there because we all have our own individual vibration, our own code. We are just like my vibrational code. He, when I was on that ship, he didn't say your physical DNA. It wasn't my body they needed. They needed my vibration. My energetic code is unique to me and everyone is stamped uniquely. And mm. that never goes away, but it fits into a larger whole that it's like uh, assembling, you know, <laughs> a puzzle and you can't see the whole picture unless all the pieces are present. And it doesn't become, even if one piece is missing, there's something absent that you need all the pieces to complete the puzzle. And once we all decide to 
hooked together that way, we'll be aware of our role, our individual vibration and our unique part in all that is. The problem is it's so infinite and vast and enormous. It's hard to believe we're significant to it at all. And we are, and we won't be lost in it. You are your, your own self and yet unified with all that is. And so you're saying basically that you're going to find your purpose. Once you evolve to a certain stage of spiritual growth, you're going to find um, what you're here to do. Basically, what, what, what are you meant to do? We're here to love. Okay. That is it. We're here to love. And love is the frequency we're all searching for. And when we're searching for the perfect partner, or we want a baby, or we want a new house, or a car, or a job, we all want to contribute somehow. I want a spiritual career where I'm, you know, coaching people or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, all you're looking for is that vibration. It isn't the thing you want. It's the feeling it gives you. It's the joy you feel while you're experiencing it. And when you let go of the need for a specific thing and you're trying to be, you're searching for happiness just for the sake of being happy, you've hit that gold vein. You've hit that mm -hmm. silver line. You've hit that, that nerve where it's uh, the joy nerve, where you've tapped in and it's, you're happy, not because of something outside of you being a certain way, but because you found the vibration without it. And then that's when your life really opens up. That's when coincidences happen. That's when people like you call, befriend me on Facebook and we end up having these conversations. That's how <laughs> these things happen. You draw them, you draw them um, into your energy field because like attracts like. And, and, that's, and the more you vibrate to that vibration of love, the more you collect, the more you become one the more you treat others with kindness, knowing they're having their own struggle, you have no idea what's going on inside their head, but you know they're a being of love in that greater puzzle, just like you. And they have a purpose to love too. They just don't know it yet. And once they discover it, all their unhappiness will just dissipate. And that's the only thing that dissipates. That's the only thing that, that actually disappears is that ego vibration, that need to defend yourself or survive or protect yourself from others in the sense of energy or spiritual. Right. I mean, obviously if someone's coming at you with a knife, probably take evasive measures, <laughs> you know, don't right. just lay down that, and let I that think that's, happen. I think that's the biggest danger of um, being into spirituality and all that is the um, certain naivete that um, mm -hmm. the people are going to take advantage of you if some people mm -hmm. let's say so you have to I have um, certain boundaries mm -hmm. and stuff like that and that's i think it's very important certain like ground level um uh, earthy like common sense that's sometimes yes. you know how uh, sometimes a person can be very you know uh in the sixth and seventh chakra very up there but the, there's no roots down there so i think mm -hmm. i've seen that in my um well, I, I'm not going to mention names, but I think I've seen, <laughs> I, I've seen some of that. In, <laughs> in you don't want to call that, out anybody's vibration. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying that it's possible that, um, that you are so like out of alignment, like you're not totally there because you are so focused out uh, in the higher chakras that you're not grounded. And then it puts everything out of whack. 
And that mm -hmm. I think goes hand in hand with naivete because naivete is essentially um, not knowing the, the lower nature of, of humans. Yeah. That's always yes. present in a lot of people, you know? I know, yes, of course, Miracles absolutely. talks very differently about that, but we're going to get, that's, but that's very interesting that the Course in Miracles would say, uh, love your brother. Always. Well, right? you don't have to love what they do. Right. You love your brother. And let's say, and I've always compared this to, could I love someone who murdered my children? Could, how do you, and people have that happen to them every day. They have murders in their family. They have people die at the hands of others. Could you love a killer? Because to me, that's the worst thing anybody could do to me is take away someone that I love against my will, because I will that they live. Um, how can you love them? And I, I still wrestle with that because the, the tendency to see the body and the actions, but you don't see the driving force behind that other individual. What happened to them that they thought that taking a life would bring them more joy? What is so screwy in their head that killing another person is what they need in their life or they think they need to be happier? Because you only do things because you think somehow it brings you something. You yeah, only but, uh, do take actions I, like that. I, I, dis I, I slightly disagree with that question. It's not that, that it brings them necessarily joy but they get a certain satisfaction out of the week. There's something that they want out of that situation. Yeah. There's, they're seeking. I had a woman recently, like a few days ago, she said, oh, you know, I've discovered your, your blog and your website. I love your work. And she said, can I ask you a question? She said, I, I desperately need help. Last night, our dog was killed by a coyote and I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. And it happened literally the night before. And I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to tell her? How, what uplifting thing can you possibly say when your, your beloved pet is killed by a wild animal? And, um, oh, I wish I had it in front of me. It's on, it's on my computer, <laughs> what I sent to her, but it had to do with how we perceive death and no death is an accident. And that everyone prearranges how they're going to die. Even animals, plants, you name it, everything is agreed upon before it comes into the physical. That is your big lesson you give those you who leave behind. Even suicide? And I think that's maybe the exception. You have decided that that is a route out for you. And you're trying to still achieve peace. And even suicide... I, it isn't the answer because you, you're trying to skip all your lessons. You end up right back here trying again. And yeah. it, it's, it's not an answer because you can't skip from kindergarten to college. You can't just skip all the hard stuff in between. And it doesn't have to be hard. But when you're resisting so hard, like a fish on the end of a line, um, you're, it, it, it gets to be unbearable for some people when they go down that low. They sink to the very bottom like that. And for them, they think that's the only answer. And my heart goes out to all families of suicide and suicide victims, because it is the ultimate cry for help. It is the ultimate cry yeah. for help that there is no way out but to die. And um, unfortunately, that's, that's trying to cheat. <laughs> you can't skip life. You, you still have to go through this. And we all have to do it. We all have to 
complete the course. And yeah, but I sort of understand it. As somebody who has had some suicidal thoughts in the past, I do. Mm -hmm. Um, there, there's a sense of like hopelessness and the sense of uh, so some pain that the the, the thinking mm -hmm. is that the, the pain will stop when you when you um when you take when you die yeah mm -hmm. and but it does I don't think it's it necessarily true because you may end up in the same kind of suffering level that you are it's just a different it, it's a out of physicality you may not have the physical problems anymore but you're still uh, conflicted with the uh, same kind of spiritual problem, I think. Well, from my understanding, and I'm also someone who studied the Urantia book, which you may have heard or not heard of, and it also coincides with A Course in Miracles that <clears throat> there is no suffering once you leave your body behind. Your body is the manifestation of the ego's expression of you, and you don't take that with you and you don't take the ego with you, and you don't take your suffering with you, but you do take all your lessons with you, you take all of your love with you, and you are able to review your mistakes and decide what course of action is best. You know, God is merciful and, and unconditionally loving. There is no suffering outside of our ego prison. And so then we have to make careful choices for our next life. If we've taken, and what I learned in my book, I have a chapter on suicide. We've all killed ourselves many, many, many times, many, many, many lifetimes. We tried and tried and tried to do that till you get to a point where you just know it's not going to work. You didn't do it because you somehow deep down inside knew that wasn't the answer because you've tried it before. And that shocked me because I thought, whoa, I've never... I, I, it has crossed my mind before, like, well, maybe it'd be easier just to die, but never to the point where you take action. Yeah. But it, here we are. Here we are together talking. It didn't work. We're back again. <laughs> it <laughs> failed. <laughs> All Any lifetime that that happened, it failed. And here we are. So, so it's, Okay, so essentially, you, you, you are disagreeing with Dante's uh, inferno uh, theory. Yes, there's no okay. inferno. I really disagree with that, honest to goodness. The inferno is now, this is it. This is as bad as it gets. This right here is the lowest vibration. In the Urantia book, it talks about um, the trillions of inhabited worlds in all of the galaxies across the known, it's called the super universe. And Earth is in the top three of the three worst planets to incarnate on because of our how things went it's a long story but because of how things went down we fell out of the loop of of uh the normal path of things and that's why christ chose our planet to come to because it was the greatest contrast and we needed the message desperately and part of this evolution that's happening which i know you feel it this something is building there is an acceleration a spiritual um, revolution taking place uh, globally and we're also interconnected we can have podcasts between um, you know the United States and Slovenia which is amazing right. that we can talk and, and a few years ago this wasn't a thing you know we can share information like no other time in history and that is causing a collective consciousness expansion and um, we're being brought up to speed basically where we should have been evolutionary wise, spiritually speaking, physically we're there. This is 
pretty much, you know, we can keep going a little bit, but our brains are at a capacity, we can understand a higher power and something greater than ourselves other than just surviving. Um, and we can turn our attention inward to our, our spiritual self. And um, we're, we're now going to be brought out of that sort of quarantine. We're, that's the irony quarantine. to me is that in, <laughs> we're in quarantine as a planet because of our spiritual uh, low vibration and we're coming out of quarantine. And I thought that's so ironic with the coronavirus, it totally represents our spiritual evolution, how we are going from separation back to unity, from quarantine back to a healthy mind. Right now we're in the process of dealing with that illness right? and we're getting there, but this is how it's manifested itself in the physical. From our, our spiritual standpoint, it came out as the illness of what's wrong with our inner self. And Okay, so you can live in love. (laughs) Since you since you brought it up, so a coronavirus. Do you think it's uh, uh, it's speeding up the uh, uh, the evolution of mankind by by exposing the kind of tyrannical measures of governments shutting everything down, but but also in a way that's forcing people to be introspective, uh, and sometimes forcing people to be. That's forcing people it, also I, to absolutely. be, yeah. What you're saying, I yep, it, it, it's forcing people also to appreciate the freedoms they do have and that that can all go away in a heartbeat. Um, you know, we're still living as a collective human race on this planet and people will say, are you, you know, against masks or for masks, do they work? Well, how can you measure what didn't happen? Did they work? How can you measure whether or not that saved lives, <laughs> you can't measure. So my take on all of it is, I will not increase fear. I am here to spread love and peace. My, my message is love and I teach only peace. Or I can say my right. message is peace and I teach only love. If you feel safer for me to have a mask on, I will not fight any organization, any store, any individual who jumps back, put on your mask. Okay. I don't want you to feel safe. You know, I don't want you to feel unsafe, but I will also happily commingle with others who feel safe and don't wear masks and get together and hug and share food and enjoy themselves. Whatever the comfort level is, I will meet that vibration knowing that I myself have a hundred percent fear less and that That's interesting because I'm not attracting that vibration. I'm not attracting that vibration. And I, I would I'm say around- everybody that I've had uh, that talked about uh, the COVID situation was was not in favor of the mass. I would say every it seems like everybody that I talked to about this. I'm, yes. I, you know, yes. And that. I'm going to say if it makes someone else feel safer, I will wear it. But I myself don't feel like I need to. I, I yeah. feel like you attract everything that comes to you. And I'm not at that vibration where I think I even, um, I, I don't, I've been exposed to it firsthand in my workplace. We all work within a few feet of each other. And two people tested positive um, a week ago. I tested a week ago, Sunday actually, and I tested negative. And I thought, wow, how could that even be possible? We're working a few feet apart. We're sharing phones and computers and and we're in this small retail pharmacy setting and I yeah, I know I, mean, I was exposed 
it's bizarre. Mm -hmm. It's really bizarre. Some people mm -hmm. get it and some people don't. Yeah. Um, I think... Um, and the symptoms, the symptoms range from being on a ventilator and dying to it felt like a mild cold or I didn't even know I had it. You know, it, it is... It is our interaction with the vibration um, coming into alignment. Yeah, and it's I, going to be hard. You know what surprised me? Well, I, I thought when when Trevor got it, I thought, oh, uh oh, maybe this is going to be another Boris Johnson, you know, because he had a prolonged like two or three weeks. Like he almost died, I think. But mm -hmm. Trump, like in three days flat, he, he was just back on it. Granted, he got some <laughs> experimental medicine and all that, but mm -hmm. still, I think a part of it was his, um, there's a book that we studied in the Christian group that I'm a part of called Power of Positive Thinking. And, uh, and apparently that's, that's a big game. That's uh, Vincent uh, Norman Peale, I think that's the. Oh, okay. Yes. I know who that is. I haven't read it, but I know uh, who that is. Minister from <laughs> a famous minister from uh, New York uh, City, and uh, Trump was a uh, Trump and his family was apparently a part of that church for a while, and it was his father's mm -hmm. favorite book. So uh, he has that. Uh, I'm I'm kind of familiar with uh, some of the uh, the Trump's um, books because I've read some of them, and and he always emphasizes the the uh, importance of zapping negative thoughts and not dwelling on them and to thinking of the positive thing. And I thought that was very interesting because I think besides the medicine that he got, maybe that was uh, the positive thinking had a huge influence in him recovering so quickly. The you know? only reason medicine works is because we believe it does. Right. I say that coming as a pharmacist, we give you know, that's the only reason, um, you know, chemotherapy works for some people and not others, or blood pressure med medication can work for a very small dose for one person. And some people you see on three or four different blood pressure medications and Course in Miracles and Urantia book both agree that we give everything its power through our thought and our belief and nothing works unless we believe it does. And I've seen that repeated time and time again in my life. And I do it with electronics all the time. And suddenly the problem that was there, I'll go on a walk, I'll realign myself and go, you know what? I accept it for what it is. I let it off the hook. It's okay. Whatever it is, this is what it is. And I'm going to let it be itself. And I come back and boop, it's fixed. And I didn't do a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was some terrible thing my you know whatever was crashed or down or I lost all these documents and boop, suddenly they reappear and uh it it's we don't know our power and we have the same power as our creator because we are created from our creator and what we're doing is having thoughts kind of willy-nilly all over the place up and down and so our lives are chaotic because our thoughts are chaotic and people think, well, I can never have another bad thought again, or the whole world will come crashing down around me and I'll have a flat tire. My, my husband will leave me, my dog will die. No, that's your power is catching those thoughts and not trying to make them go away. Because if you ever tried to think something and make it go away, it just gets bigger and bigger. That's, you don't want it to go away. You just want to shift to something else. Mm. Shift if you're thinking, oh, my leg hurts. Well, let's not think about the leg. Let's think how good the rest of our body feels. Right. Let's see if we can make that pain shrink by going, I feel it shrinking. I think it's getting better. Oh my gosh, I can <laughs> move my leg. And it's just do that with everything all day, every day. The second you feel a tug, 
And I have an analogy of being a fisherman. You can be the fisherman in the boat or you can be the fish down on the line, tugging away on the hook, resisting. And the boat is the present moment. And you can slow that boat. You can have hundreds of fish dragging behind on hooks. You can have millions of problems or you can let it all off the hook and climb inside the boat and float on top of the sea of all possibilities versus trying to nitpick individual pieces of it that you want to be your way. And the second you let the hook out of however or whatever it is you want to be your way, you find yourself back in the boat. And guess who's there with you in the boat? Your creator. And instead of using hooks, Jesus never used hooks, he used nets. And I, my analogy is that your creator casts a net across all that is, which is the ocean. Your only job is to be in the boat to help oh. bring it in. Being in the boat is being in the present moment. And you can have no insistence on what comes in on that net. The more you accept all possibilities that come to you, the higher and higher your vibration climbs, the faster that boat moves. And next thing you know, you're having just the best joy ride of your life, accepting all of the things that are coming to you as they are without getting hooked, without finding yourself back in the water struggling. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you're able to sail through all of it, just letting your creator bring it to you. You do nothing but be present. And again, that's, that's Eckhart right. Tolle with the present moment of now. So many spiritual teachers talk about the present moment and mine's a boat. So that's, that's a good, um, good yeah, analogy. That's actually going to be my next my next book that I'm writing uh, right now. Is is a, that's going to be it's going to be all about manifestation and allowing life. And so, if you want Corona in your life, if you don't want it, don't let it hook you. Don't let the fear hook you. Just go about your business and and whatever makes you feel the safest, do that. Whatever brings you the most peace, because you want to be off the hook. You want right. to be in the boat. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the audience that's seeing this on the video, you can see the pharm pharmaceutical degree on the left side <laughs> of the screen. <laughs> there you go. So uh, I guess your desire to help people um, or maybe your love of biology or chemistry uh, put you in mm -hmm. this field of work. Yes. Uh, well, I'm, I'm actually, I always laugh because I'm very balanced in my genres of, of, of things that I'm interested in because I'm ambidextrous. I'm both left-handed and right-handed. Oh, and wow. so I love drawing. I love writing. I love singing. I play guitar, flute, and piano and all forms of art. I've dabbled in all different kinds of creations. And I also love chemistry and biology and, and how life works in the scientific world. And so those two things just blend perfectly in my life. I have my pharmacy by day and my writing and, and spiritual investigations and, and sharing of my personal right. experiences in my spare time. And so it's, it's been an interesting life. <laughs> Good. Uh, I, I want to hear the story how you came across A Course in Miracles. And that's, uh, that's something that's very dear to my heart. And I've done it twice now. And yeah, I can think you're inspiring me to, to, to do it again. Because today I, res I resumed that. I think I'm at about 345. And you told me to just resume there rather than restart. Because I've done that yeah. in the past. But this is the... And I, I'm going I'm to say what I... I'm going to repeat what I told you just for the, the audience. Because I know a lot of people pick it up and put it down again. And then think... 
oh, I have to start all over with these lessons or, oh, I don't remember <laughs> what I read before. If you're running a race, let's say it's a marathon, anybody can do a marathon if you walk or if you take days to do it. Let's say you drive home for the afternoon, go rest, come back the next day and keep going. I mean, anybody can go the length of a marathon given enough time. But if someone said you got, you know, 10 miles down the road and you stop to get a drink of water, go to the bathroom, sit down a minute and rest. Whoops, you stopped. You have to go back to the beginning. You'd never come back to that again. You'd like, screw that. I'm never going to make it. But if you allow yourself to just pick up right where you left off and trust the process, do not become disheartened by trying to start over again because you think, oh, I didn't do it the first time. I better retry. Just pick it right up wherever you left off, even if it's not exactly where you left off. You can't fail if you just keep going. Just keep going and you'll finish the race. You'll finish the task. Even if you go home for a, a year and come back to that spot on your, your race, on the marathon, you're, you've still already completed the first part. And yeah. I mean, if I even got a few blocks down the road and had to rest, I'd be upset if I had to start over again. It, it's nothing is worse than getting a certain distance and having to, to try again. So right. just for me, right been, I think for me, it's been almost two years or yep. and I, I'm still like resuming because I'm almost finished yeah. anyway. So I'm resuming there and then I'm going to probably restart. Yeah, 10 years, 10 years to get it through it the first time that ten was years. The longest, 10 years Whoa. so i'm going to tell you my story so okay. i i came across a course in miracles at a bookstore barnes and noble and it was i was looking for other spiritual books i was always buying spiritual books on everything like i said i investigated numerology astrology <clears throat> palm reading ghosts near-death experiences afterlife experiences <clears throat> and so i'm always in that section that's the only thing that fascinated me there i saw this dark blue book and at the time it was wrapped in cellophane and I think it's because its pages were so delicate they just didn't let people open it because it yeah. was like a bible you know so delicate and I looked at it and I thought what is this this looks this looks really hard <laughs> and it looks like it means business this this course in miracles it sounds like a class I bet this must be a textbook for you know, the Mankato College there in town, Mankato State, or some local college for some religious class. Right. And I thought, oh, it's because it even says workbook on it and text and manual for teachers. It's like, oh, well, I don't even know what that is. But I put it back on the shelf and I couldn't get it out of my mind. And a month later, I came back to the bookstore looking for other books. And I thought, I want to look at that book again. I, what was that? And it wasn't there. There were none on the shelf. And I'd come back again wanting, I wouldn't look for it, forgot all about it. And there it would be on the shelf, intriguing me all over again. This, the course and I danced back and forth like that for about, oh, years, probably three or four years. Then I started seeing it come up in other authors' work, like Marianne Will Williamson, you know, writes all about it. And I thought, I want that book. I think I need to have it. And I go to the bookstore. It's not there forget all about it and life goes on. And I know this happened in 2004 because my daughter was a baby. She was crawling around on the ground. It was sometime in 2004. And I remember being kind of overwhelmed and tired and it's a lot having your first child. It's a life change. And I thought I really need something to, to just hold on to spiritually speaking, emotionally, so I don't get 
depressed mm -hmm. because I'm tired. And when you're tired, that lends to depression in general, even if you have a perfect life. And I went back to the bookstore and there it was, and it was not wrapped in cellophane. And I held it in my hands contemplating, should I buy this or not? Is this the answer? And that voice, which I was used to by this time, because I'd done so much meditation, so much of my own inner work that, and so I, what was I about 29 years old at this point? It was, yeah, 2004. The inner voice said, read this, do exactly as it says, do not miss my message for the second time around. And I thought, second time around, when was the first time? And okay, I'll do exactly as it says. If you say this is the answer, I will do exactly as it says. So I brought it home and I started reading it and I couldn't do it. I couldn't understand what sin and guilt being raised Catholic, they had such heavy meaning to them and such dark meaning, but I knew it wasn't being used the same way. I thought, oh, this is going to be a chore. This is a chore. And so I'd close it and put it down. It was um, on the, the stand by our couch where I'd sit and read at night. Mm -hmm. I'd pick it up on and off um, days, weeks, months, sometimes a year would go by. And sometime in 2011, um, I was halfway through the text. It took me that long just to get halfway through the text the words jumped out at me that this world is an illusion. And I went, yes, yes, that would be so awesome if it was really an illusion that none of this is real. Is this book really saying what I think it's saying? That's crazy, but I love it. And so I started getting into it and reading it every single day till I got through the text. And I was told by my inner voice when I started, read it cover to cover. For me, that was the best approach to start with the very first page and read to the last page and do not look ahead. So I didn't look ahead. I didn't know what anything was coming next. I didn't know what it entailed. I knew there was a workbook, but I assumed it'd be a lot of work because the word work is in the word. <laughs> and I'd have to journal and write down my feelings and do all this hard writing and stuff I didn't really have time for. And I thought, I'm reading this at night before bed. I'd really like to read it in the morning before I start my day. So I have these thoughts with me in the morning. I'd really like to bring this upstairs and put it by my bed and wake up and read it first thing instead of waiting till night so I can think about these concepts during the day. I feel like I forget them when I go to bed. The next day I opened and it was the workbook. The workbook started and I thought this is perfect. They're lessons. And then I waited to see where it said all the work I had to do and it was just mental concepts just holding yeah. a thought in your mind and at first yeah. i couldn't hold the lessons in my mind i had to write them the titles on pieces of paper i couldn't yeah. even remember the, parts of it this chair does not mean anything this window does not mean anything yeah, that's yes. the, one of the yes. first lessons yeah <laughs> and and i just thought this is so weird but it's got it this is so different from anything i've ever read or come across and so i was hardcore my my rosary saying um dedication came out in me again where i'm going to do a lesson every day exactly as it says and we're going to see what happens so i did all the lessons and nothing happened i thought well there's still this manual for teachers maybe something will happen after that and i read all that that was wonderful read i had clarification of terms and the psychotherapy section in my um i have the original um you know the original uh volume this guy here right and i got to the end and I thought, 
I mean, I feel a little better, but not that better. I think I failed the course. <laughs> <laughs> I failed the course. And that voice came back so loud and said, no one can fail my course. And secondly, no one understands it entirely the first time they come across this material. And I said, okay, well, what do I do now? Well, if you want, I will go through it with you and we'll do it together this time instead of you, you know, blocking me out and trying to figure it out on your own. You mean and your then, your inner voice, your your my inner, inner voice was gonna yeah. go through it with me. And I have that's how this came about. That's how Awakening to One Love came about. It 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 was um, the step-by-step -step explanation. Basically, I said, can you give it to me? As though I'm a child. It put it in the most basic terms. I need to start at the very beginning. And so I went through the lessons a second time and I was amazed at what came out of that willingness to listen, that willingness to um, really hear the, the message that's coming through. And of course, um, I had told you this earlier when we were getting ready for this podcast that Along the way, as long as I had, you know, the Holy Spirit on the line, why don't I ask about, you know, all those Other topics stuff. that yeah. everyone wonders about, all the, the worldly lessons, and I had my own experiences along the way, and I include all of those stories in there. Um, Does it tell it, you who to vote for or who, uh, you know, if you should bet and bet on a... <laughs> when, I was, when I was voting, and I don't know if this will cause controversy or not, hmm. Um, first of all, my inner feeling was it didn't matter. People are people are people. We are all love and light. And that can be brought forward in any individual through, um, you know, their vibration. Vibrations can shift up and down all the time. We know that by how we feel on a moment by moment basis. Right. And that God is in everyone. And that given a chance, everyone can step up and be that light. It's what you see in them that comes forward. So I knew it didn't really matter per se who was you know, leading the country. It's our collective vibration that leads the country. People forget that we are our country. The people are the country, not one human being. And that's where the true power is, even though they say, oh, they can shut down our restaurants, they can shut down our schools and have everyone stay at home. But yes, it's only because people obey. It's only because people yeah, obey. Yeah. But, I'm, but it, the answer is not anarchy to go out and destroy. It's an inner work. And I've seen so many transformations, so many shifts that when I shifted emotionally, my outer world shifted. And so basically my instructions were vote for the lesser ego. <laughs> or vote for, for uh, the path of least resistance. And you want to follow that thread of peace. You want to follow well, that. Thread we're still not getting. We're still not getting exactly who you voted for. No, <laughs> that's what you want I'm to not, say. I'm not dumb. I'm not. You know how you talked about there are some spiritual people that are only up here. I've got a tree trunk, <laughs> and I'm rooted. I'm a Capricorn. I am. I am very grounded, and okay. uh, I know better. <laughs> okay. So yes. And basically so, I voted for the, the, I went for the, the brightest light that I could see in the situation. You, you, I know you, that my, my vote canceled out my husband's vote. I know that we both voted for different people. So we canceled. <laughs> out. 
okay. so it was neutralized. So, right. So and in both of the previous two elections, he each voted for the other side. So it kind of cancels yes. each other out. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's the experience of a lot of uh, families in the U.S. and 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 around the world. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So. Um, what what are some other stuff that that are, are, would be interesting to that you got through the uh, inner guidance of, uh, through the Course in Miracles? Was there well, something like um, um, did you ever get guidance that you should move somewhere or take a different job or something like that? Well, um, I have gotten many messages for me personally. Um, some of them are. Okay, one case in point is I live on property, a 40 acre farm, and my brother bought the other part of my grandmother's farm. I think he bought 72 acres. So we kind of divided it. I have, we got, we bought 40 and he bought the other, the rest of it. And so his property borders mine and there's a valley between us, but he also owns part of the field up by my house. And I love walking on this one mile path along the edge of the woods that is next to the field. And at the time, my dad had retired from farming, so he wasn't doing it anymore. My brother rented it out to uh, a farmer who kept plowing the field closer and closer to my path to the point where there were points I was pushed into the woods entirely and there was no grassy path. And there should have been a width for a vehicle to drive where you drive your, you know, a car or a truck right. or a you know, something around the edge of the field. He kept making the field bigger and bigger and it was coming over by a foot every year. And it, this had gone on, I think for about three years. And the third year I walked around and I thought, oh, this is distressing. At some point I won't be able to walk here because it'll be literally the edge of the ravine. I won't have this nice grassy path. He keeps taking more and more feet over. And the Holy Spirit said, don't worry about it very soon, this entire, uh, I don't know how many acres, it's probably 50 acres or so, will all be grass. It'll be a meadow. And I thought, well, that's impossible. My brother's making rent money. Why would he plant it all into grass? There's no way he'd ever do that. Six months later, the government came out with a program to restore animal habitat. And he makes more money now as a restored grassland for pheasants and deer than he would have made renting it out to a farmer. And it's a 15 year program. So it's gonna be that way for the next decade and a half. And my path is perfect. So it was true. It's a federal program. Yes. And so now it is six months later that prediction came true that very soon this entire field will be grass. You will never have to worry about your path being gone. So things like that come to me all the time. The most dramatic came in 2018. And early in 2018, I was told by the Holy Spirit, I would not be working at my present job for my, my company that I was working for my, my pharmacy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's exciting, because my book has been only been out a year. I wonder if my book will take off, or I'll get a, you know, start an online coaching program, or something will happen, I'll be a professional speaker. <laughs> And I thought, I don't know where that's going to go, but I'm excited. That sounds great. And one week before Christmas in 2018, our company announced they were closing all the pharmacies and our files were bought by another pharmacy. And in seven days, none of us were going to have a job. Wow. Just before Christmas. 
Amazing. Seven days before Christmas and before the end of 2018, I thought, here comes 2019. I'm going to have a, you know, well, I don't have anything happening with my, my writing right now. Nothing that can pay the bills on a, you know, sustainable basis. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I guess I'll just see where this goes. I'm nervous, but I'm also very excited because this was predicted for me that in 2019, I'd be working somewhere else. So <clears throat> there was one opening in town with all the pharmacies um there was only one place that was hiring and it was the busiest pharmacy in their chain in minnesota and it was the worst place i've ever worked in my life <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the people but the the situation it was like i compared it to um working in an er in downtown chicago during gang riots or wow. a cattle stampede mixed with you know an er operating room i mean it was it was an un, like the phone never stopped ringing it rang from the moment i got there to the moment i left they were a 24-hour store i thought oh this sounds nice i'll just come in when it's my shift and just leave when i'm done no you you didn't leave, you stayed and stayed and stayed. And after your shift was up, you weren't being paid anymore. It wasn't, you didn't punch in or out as a pharmacist oh, wow. salary. So strictly out of the care of my teammates that we'd all stay later for each other to help, you never were caught up. And it was just one disaster after another. Oh my gosh, so that, that's, that sounds chaotic. <laughs> it was horrible. And, and I thought, why, what did I do wrong? Did I do something wrong? How did I attract this with my vibration? And I was there, I started um, the third, like January 21st. And within a few weeks, um, I started looking for a new job, realizing it's okay to fail. It's okay to not want to be somewhere and to look for another place. So I started putting out my applications. Well, I had been at my previous job for almost 15 years and the market has changed. It used to be pharmacists were a bit scarce and now there were uh, half a dozen applicants for every opening. So it's highly competitive. Mm -hmm. I'm older. I'm now, you know, at the time I was for, uh, 43, now 45. And hey, I'm on a Zoom meeting. I'm, I'm being interviewed. It's my child. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> He's like, who are you talking to? So I'm at this, 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 it was literally the most stressful place I've ever been in my life. I was emotionally at the lowest place. This is the deepest depression I've ever, ever spiraled down to. I am not a crier. I don't cry that often about things. I'll cry out of sympathy that I feel bad for someone, but I don't cry for myself. I generally am a happy person. I really felt like I got that nailed. This drove me to my knees and I was crying almost on a daily basis about how I didn't want to go there. I couldn't go back. My husband said, just quit, walk away. We'll figure it out. I said, no, my income is what pays our mortgage. We can't do it just on yours alone. And with the market the way it is, I don't know how quickly I'll find another job. Mm -hmm. And, and I want to, I'm not going to put my family in that position, no matter how much I'm suffering, I will not put my family in a, a hardship position. And I said, I just have to stay here till I figure this out. Like what? I'm on a big hook. My heart was on a big hook and I couldn't figure out how to like it there. I thought at first I had to somehow find a way to, to like my job. And the Holy Spirit said, no, we're not asking you to like this. We're not, that's not it. We are not asking you to love hell. <laughs> and I thought, well, then what is it? And I came across 
um, here it is. I have it. I have it written down. Um, well, you, it's not on any of these. You received it like was, a guidance. It, yes, I came across in A Course in Miracles. I think it's in chapter 30, or it's towards the end. The world fears nothing more than to hear these words. I do not know the thing I am. I don't know who I am, where I am, or what I'm doing. And in this is salvation born. And I thought, I have read these words how many times I've read the course. I read it every day, and I have been now for the last like seven years. Why has this never hit me before? And why does saying, I don't know who I am, what I'm doing, or why I'm here, why does that make the world fear my thoughts and fear me? I drove to work and I was like, okay, I don't know who I am. I really don't know why I'm in this pickle. I don't know why I'm in this stressful situation and it's okay. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to understand it. Hmm. I just have to let it go. And like this peace washed over me that this burden was off my shoulders that I just need to trust this process. I'm gonna keep going and keep taking the next positive turn that I can take because obviously I'm not sitting back doing nothing. I'm putting my application out to all these different jobs. I'm taking action on any positive job that seems better to me. I did skip over a couple that looked like that's just out of the fry pan into the fire. That's another bad situation over there at that other job. I didn't want to just right. jump ship and then land out in the ocean with no life preserver. And so I applied at some very nice positions and, um, Three of them had called back with rejections, but one I had applied to a month or so earlier and hadn't heard anything either way. And so I, you know, I'm putting, putting my net out there, not hooks, but nets. And I drove to work and this bubble of peace, I felt serene with acceptance that I don't have to like this. I don't have to understand it and I don't have to fix it. I really don't know what I'm doing, why I'm there. And I distinctly remember punching in the code, the lock, the, the code to go into the pharmacy. And it felt very different when I walked through that door. And there were all my teammates, chaos was everywhere. And here I was sort of like, it was like being high on drugs because everything was happening. I could see it, I could hear it. I'm answering the phones, taking you know complaints and fixing problems for people. And why isn't you know why isn't my doctor called back? And how come you have me on this and I should be on that? And why isn't my stuff ready? And it was like it was happening, um, like I was looking at it but not participating emotionally. The oh. stress had no effect. Then I started hearing two or three coworkers at various parts times during the day said, it feels different in here today. It feels really serene and really peaceful. And they're like, are we slow? Are we, are our numbers down today? And I checked the computer No, the numbers are as high as ever. We're filling as many prescriptions as ever. We would fill upwards of a thousand prescriptions in a 24 hour period. And twice, customers commented, I would, um, you know, go get wait on people at the register and help out there. And Twice, people commented how serene we looked back there today. And one of them even said, it has the feeling of a spa. And I thought, a spa? You just waited in line behind 20 people for half an hour and you see how we're running around. But the feeling was that of a spa. 
And I thought, wow, okay, I like this place. I'm going to live inside this bubble and let whatever happen, happen. And I don't know how long I have to be here, but I know I'm not going to retire in 20 years from this particular job. So I went home and it was still there. It was there for three days. And on the third day of being inside my bubble of serene peace and letting the bombs go off around me, but not actually um, emotionally participating, not checking out, but being very, very focused on Mm -hmm. the present moment and in my response to everything around me. It wasn't like I was checked out. I was very checked in. I received a phone call from one of the companies that I had applied to a month or so earlier offering me a job. And it is the best job I have ever had in my entire life. I have Sundays off. My nights are not that late. I, um, my drive is beautiful and there's another um, pharmacy five miles from my home that I'll be able to work at when one of the pharmacists there retires. So eventually I'll have no drive practically and the people are amazing. The company policy is serving and loving your community and they do community projects and it's, I didn't think such a thing existed. And once you let everything off the hook and climb into your boat in the present moment, when you really let everything off the hook where you know it's not hooked in your heart anymore, it opens up that net of all possibilities. And something I didn't even know existed came into my life because I finally let it. And what's funny is this position, so I quit after only seven months at my terrible job. I could have quit after three months because that's when the opening happened at my new job that I love, but I couldn't see it. I wasn't in the right vibration. It wasn't in my reality because right. I was in a lower vibration. So of course the miracles oh. helped you get to that place where you surrendered yeah. and then you were in a bubble and then after three days, um, but it seemed like that bubble also affected your workplace that everybody felt it. Yes, at work. yes everybody felt it. and. You know, it was in place to a lower degree from the very first moment because there was a lot of conflict back there. I was amazed that there could be that much stress. And instead of people bonding together, they were at each other's throats. They were so mean to one another and and how they treated one another. I couldn't Mm -hmm. believe it. And I just, the way I I would try to correct it is... um, well, okay, one case in point, um, one of my coworkers, one of the techs was filling prescriptions and another tech said, hey, you need to trade spots with me. I need to go to lunch. He's like, I'm coming. She, you know, a few more minutes goes by. She goes, I'm really hungry. I have to go to lunch. I, I, if you don't come down here, I'm going to leave. You know, you need to get down here and, and take my spot. And he was in the middle of finished like 10 problems, probably very stressed. And he snapped at her <laughs> and I said, what he really meant to say is, I love you very much and I care about your feelings, but I'm in the middle of this problem and it's stressing me out. I'll be right there. And they both stopped and just everyone started laughing because <laughs> he was really angry. And then you just couldn't help but laugh. Like, what he means is he loves you very much and he'll be right there. He's just very busy. And, and it was stuff like that, diffusing, diffusing, diffusing to the point where, um, by the end, instead of stabbing each other's backs, we had each other's backs. And the store manager called me to his office about three or four months into my employment there. And he said, I need to talk to you. I said, oh, what? He said, what are you doing back there? 
I go, what do you mean? He said, I came on about a year and a half ago. I've been trying to get these people to get along for a year and a half. We have weekly meetings about how we treat one another and none of it was working. And you've only been here a few months, he goes, but everyone has this camaraderie now. And I said, oh, I said, I just saw the good in them. I said, I saw more in them than they were giving me. I understood that they were under stress. And I said, I raised the bar. I said, I just expect them to love. And so I treated them that way, whether they were that way towards me or not. And it ends up being really funny. <laughs> and then we ended up laughing more. And then we started having more fun and everyone became lighter. And we started actually seeing the humor in a lot of what was happening to us. Right. And it was not so serious. Like you got to take that seriousness out of it and really see that, are you kidding me? Is this happening now? You know, and oh, you know, and, and it just, I don't even know how to describe it. But the bubble was very, very dramatic. That was a very dramatic right. energy shift. So basically, um, we're here saying that if you do a Course in Miracles workbook, you might change the um, how how people interact at your workplace. They might yes. you, you might see an improvement not just in your in your personal happiness, but in the happiness of other people, which is yes. I think it's you bring a, it out. You will draw the light forward in them. Yes. And that's why I was never worried about who I voted for because I focus on drawing out their light, even though I wasn't not, I'll never be in physical contact with a president, but it can be with anything. You can draw the physical light out of your electronics. Like I said, I fixed things just by walking away from it and realigning my mind and just draw out the best in anything around you. And it's your perspective. You're giving it the power, your belief in what you are seeing around you if you're believing in that light and making peace with that and knowing that's the truth of our reality you'll draw it forward and it will shift the world will shift to meet your vibration and the more you're in the boat the more you're going to have coincidences synchronicities things lining up you know people like you contacting me and and we're having these talks it it wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have been in the right vibration and you have no idea how many people I turned down friend requests because they look kind of shady <laughs> and I don't get a good vibration. And I had a good vibration from your friend and I didn't even really look into it much. I just feel that person, your energy. And I accepted and cautiously proceeded. And I'm like, oh, he, yep, he, yep, he's authentic. <laughs> so that, that's how this happens. Well, I don't even have a picture. My picture is like not of me. It's like a picture of a sky. <laughs> nope. It has nothing to do with what my eyeballs see. It right. has to do with the vibration I feel. And um, I, like I said, you have no idea how many I delete, delete, delete friend requests that are just, I'm like, nope. And I um, am very selective. And so I, I measure the vibration with each one. And that's how I decide because, well, on your friend profile, on your public profile, you're only allowed like 5,000 or something like that, or 2,000 people. Yeah. No, 5,000. But my author page is endless. You can, you know, I think I've got like right, 23,000 right. followers on that. But these are my, my, this is my tribe. Like this is where I share family things and, and my personal stuff. And so I measure very carefully the people that, I accept and uh, knowing they can contact me then after that. Right. And of course, I, I measured your vibration. You were good. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. So um, let's, <laughs> let's talk lastly about um, 
coaching because they do some coaching as well for people through your website? Just, just as a side effect. It's not an actual profession. I actually have nothing I'm paid for on my website, except if you buy my book or my deck of meditation cards. Everything is, if people want to donate, they can. I want to keep it as open as possible because I don't want to put a price tag on helping because there's so many people that um, I don't want that to be a restriction or for them to not come to me just because they, you know, can't afford, you know, $200 or something like that. That's crazy. Right. So if someone emails me with a question, honest to goodness, I can't help but answer it because the answer starts coming forward as I'm reading the question that inner voice, my Holy Spirit starts answering for me and it's compulsory. I have to, I have to answer. I, it, it, money has nothing to do with it. I have to answer the call for help. If, if there's someone with a, a really sincere question, if you're asking for lotto numbers, I'll probably delete it. <laughs> if you're asking <laughs> what do I do about my pet that was killed by a coyote, you will get a beautiful message about, um, you know, the purpose of death and that's your pet is helping you with a lesson and that it's so like your beloved noble soul that was your pet to go out in such a way that would give you the greatest lesson in love possible. And that they, they their body served to feed a starving creature who's on the brink of death themselves. And so like them to do that, that their body wouldn't be wasted mm -hmm. and that everything has to die and that whatever relationship you have with a plant, a person, or an animal, anything you've loved that has life and has to leave its physical form um, will leave in such a way to bring you the greatest lesson in love that they can. And you have to forget that. You have to forget your plans to be murdered. You have to forget your plans to be eaten by a coyote because if you remembered it, once you came into this body, you would say, oh, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna hurt you. You would withdraw your desire to do that because you automatically want to protect the ones you love. You would say, I'm not going to put you through that. I'm going to just, I don't know, wait till things just fail in my body and die that way. And sometimes we do, but you have to forget your agreement with others. How, how do to, people, how do people deal with lost? And like, this is especially hard for a lot of people when they're, you know, their loved one dies, their um, husband dies, and their grandparent died, whoever they're really attached to, that's the most painful thing mm -hmm. that a person can go through. Besides, besides like heart, heartache or, you know, yes. getting heartbroken. But um, yeah, losing somebody close to you, that's the hardest thing. Yes. So, so I, asked, I asked the Holy Spirit that and I said, and don't give me that you know, be whole about, oh, we're not bodies and they're with you eternally. I don't want right. to hear that. Give me the real answer. I want to know <laughs> what am I supposed to do yeah. when somebody dies? And I put this in my book. It's, it's in one of my chapters. This is, this is what the answer was. The Holy Spirit said, I want you to imagine you're holding someone that you love. Hold them very close to you. Touch cheek to cheek, you know, touch your forehead to their forehead. Hold them in your most loving way. Imagine that. And I said, okay. I said, I imagine I have both my children on my lap and I'm in between them. And I said, I'm loving them. Our cheeks are touching. I said, okay. And the Holy Spirit said, you love them very much like this. You love the touch of them. You love the sound of their voice, their presence in the physical realm. 
but listen very closely to what I'm about to say. And I said, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm not even breathing. What? And the Holy Spirit said, right now, as you imagine your children touching you cheek to cheek, that's the farthest you will ever be away from them. You, you are never farther from anyone than you are when you're in the physical, because there's a sense of separation that you're two distinct beings that can lose one another. And I said, you did just tell me what I said. I didn't want you to tell me. And he said, listen, there's great value here. Rem remember this every time you feel like you're losing someone or even a, a, someone who breaks up with you and you think I'll never see them again. Every relationship is forever and you are never farther apart than when you are here in physical bodies. This is as far apart as you ever get from anyone. This is as far away. And though you'll miss the sound of their voice, the touch of their hand, uh, the smell of their hair, their presence, you know, in the kitchen with you or, or in, the, in the room with you or the, able to talk with them in, in physical body to physical body, you will miss that. But in eternity, that's such a temporary time and if you would tune in, you would know that you can still do those things. You can still, people say, well, I smell this perfume or this particular cigar or the lights flickered or I had a dream. They're still there. They're still trying. And if you ask, they will come. They will find a way to get through to you that they're always in your life. And they're as close as your actual heart. And that when you're both in spirit, then you're as close as you will ever be. And it's, it's forever. And no relationship is ever lost, wasted, or gone. And I said, okay, that does bring me comfort. That this is the farthest away. Right now, this is the farthest away we'll ever, ever be. I can accept that. And that, that helped me tremendously. That your cheek's touching. That's as far away as you'll ever get. Even though bodies die, um, they're even closer when you're in spirit. And... And it, it's, it's something that uh, we need to tune into. If, if, and when you're feeling your worst, when your heart is the tightest and hurting the most, their love is there. And it's that memory of them in the physical that makes it hard, mm. but their love is touching you. Their love is touching you in a very real way. Mm -hmm. I think the farthest distance apart in the modern world is getting, is probably getting blocked on Facebook or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Because you can't even see them anymore. They can't even I communicate. <laughs> you can't. And it feels like a death. There are so many relationships that end. It literally feels like a death because, yeah, yeah if, if you're physically apart, you can't drive to their home or you'll, you know, you don't want to be a stalker, but to think, oh, I can't ever reach that person. Yeah. Um, there, there's that hook. And you'd be surprised. A lot of relationships, you may not you know, get back together to the level of dating again, but contact can be reestablished when you take the hook out and allow, allow that energy to move forward. You mean the emotional the hook. hook? You mean the, uh, the allow desire? The emotional yeah. hook to yeah, come yeah, out. Yeah. It's okay. And, and you don't have to accept what people did. Like if someone cheats on you, you don't have to accept that. You don't have to be a doormat. That's not okay to, to have them break a promise. But at the same time, don't let that hook keep you under the water. You don't have to like that, but you can love the light within them. You can love them just for being a part of your big puzzle. And that knowing that at some point, all of that will go away. All of these things don't come with us. 
we've agreed to these situations and these people to come into our life beforehand because um you're talking about prior agreements prior agreements yes and there's so many in hindsight that i'm thinking now because they led me on my path to where i am now and had i stayed with those people i would have missed other things other relationships and i wouldn't have the husband i have and the place i'm living and and um if i would have stayed where i was and so we have to trust the process that's why we can't judge what comes in on the net sometimes the net brings us in things we think are worse for us or we lose things but if your cup is already full you can't pour anything more into it your cup has to empty right. sometimes my view is like, that maybe sometimes god makes us the only way to, to get through our ego is to to suffer and then to then to mm -hmm. surrender because you're like and i can't do it on my own it's it's so hard yep. and you know i just like my job brought me to my knees i've never been so depressed so anxious i was anxious what during work i was anxious right after work and i was anxious on my days off and i dreaded it before going into my ship there was no there's no relief whether i was there or not i was anxious and and afraid and de depressed about it and in hindsight then when the holy spirit said well you didn't have to even suffer for seven months your job was available three months in or even <laughs> earlier Right. But you weren't in that vibration to receive it. You weren't in the boat. I missed my boat for you know another five months. And then I climbed in the boat and there it was. And you know, the bad job had to come in as part of the net. I would have never left my original job that I was at for 14 years if they hadn't closed. And I would have never gone to the job I have now because it's kind of a long drive. And I wasn't looking like I just thought I'll take anything. It doesn't matter. It does matter. And I needed that experience to take me into a realm where I learned how to make the bubble. I needed that to drive me to my knees so that I could accept, I could accept um, the love that I clearly hadn't learned yet and not on that level to withstand a devastating blow like that. And, but we don't have to be on our knees any longer than we choose to. I could have stood up at any time and accepted my situation. It took me seven months to figure it out, unfortunately, instead of, you know, it a shorter been amount of time. 20 years. So yeah, you get it. Been 20 years. Exactly. <laughs> and how long was I going to let that hook keep me down there struggling against? And yeah, it's, and, I think um, it's your spiritual work and, of course, miracles work that you've been, you, you've, you were doing at that point that helped you and uh but then again where uh you get into uh was it fate or was it uh predetermination and all that but i think it's uh i think personally what happens is when you do spiritual work you change the the whole dynamic of your life the way it's going and uh a different just, path yeah yeah and then you then you go into a different path with a different set of options um Mm -hmm. anyway um so where, where can people find you when uh or your book is called uh, again awakening to one love uncover the inner peace and joy hidden within you yes and that's on amazon have, yes it's on amazon uh, my website is awakening to the number two one love.com or you can google beth gear but awakening to one love.com and i've got a monthly newsletter where i share 
my latest experiences, inspirations, things that I've learned. Usually it's, um, it's become very personal. I'll share personal experiences and how um, shifts have come into my life. Um, and, or if I've received any messages from the Holy Spirit for the general public. And I'm also currently working on a project with another gentleman named John Overby. He's a film producer. And we are going chapter by chapter through A Course in Miracles. And I'm being guided to take only those quotes which best explain each chapter. And it ends up being about 50% of the words that are there. They're being distilled down to their core meaning. And then it's unbelievable because I didn't think it would work, but you can take out all that material and those core phrases will still make sense. They'll still read as though nothing is missing, even though right. half of it's missing. Unbelievable. And then I give a very brief summary at the end of each section. And so each chapter is being posted on my website. And there's a link to the video version that John is making, which is beautiful scenery of here in Minnesota. And I, I read it and it's set to this beautiful scenery. So you can sit back and just listen to it. And it's taking it down into a bite-sized portion, sort of closing the gap in understanding. Because after a while, you read the words. And I remember thinking the Course in Miracles seemed kind of cultish. Like it seemed like brainwashing, all this re repetition and the same thing over and over. And that's when the Holy Spirit said, well, you know, you're the only one in the cult. So no one's holding you here. You're the only <laughs> member of this cult. You're doing by yourself. Wow. And your brain could use a good washing. Right. Okay. Everybody's so, programmed. So my, right. Yes. Replace my programming. And so I have um, my free monthly newsletter. You can access. I'm up through chapter uh, 13 was posted uh, this morning and I do two or three a month. So hopefully by this summer, I'll have all 31 chapters on my website. I have meditation cards uh, to keep you aligned with peace. And I also post things like this, this podcast, I'll post a link on my events page for mm -hmm. people to review and I'll, watch I'll, as many times. I'll put the links on uh, below the, the video or the podcast version, because I have two versions that I put out. Um, yeah, but thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Um, thank you. And uh, yeah, thank you everybody for watching and listening. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bless. Peace.